This time on episode 439 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we talk She-Hulk Attorney at Law, the Disney Plus premiere episode, A Normal Amount of Rage. We talk weekly Marvel news, including Avengers, the Kang Dynasty director announcement, Marvel's What If Season 3 insights, visual effect working conditions on She-Hulk, possible Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. character recasting and what the producer says about it, and your feedback. I'm Willie D. Nelson from All Things Good and Nerdy, a pop culture podcast, part of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other tantalizingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the shield director. And now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Chris. I'm Special Counsel Anthony. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Comic Book Universes as told on screen by a secret agency, an OGA called Marvel Studios. This show is recorded on Saturday, August 20th, 2022, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast court TV wide. Come and join our live chat as we record. And if you didn't already catch on to it, we love talking about Marvel. Because of a confirmation of things we were all pretty sure were true, but didn't know fully. If you'd like to talk to us about Captain America's sex life, you can find us at our website, legendsofshield.com. If you need to leave us some anonymous tips about some things that we probably shouldn't know about yet, give us a call at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. If you want to send us your favorite Captain America gifts, you can check us out on Twitter at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. If you're one of those horrible people that secretly films people and then puts it up on YouTube, make sure to tag us on and when it's Captain America. We're over there at Gunna Geek. And if you'd like to gossip with other people about this, you can join our Discord server at gunnageek.com discord. And don't forget that Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network, where we definitely have our section for discussing things that we're pretty sure are true. And we'll begin by saying welcome back to the show, Anthony. For those that did not catch our Moon Knight coverage, he is a comic book character expert, comic book reader, and he also happens to be dun, 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 a lawyer. That's right. It's good to be back. Thank you, SP, for inviting me to talk about one of my absolute favorite characters. I love She-Hall. Been a fan of Jen Walters for many, many years, both as a comic book character and as an attorney. So it's always fun to get to discuss some of those aspects of my professional life merged with my personal enjoyment and hobbies. So I'm really looking forward to this character and being able to join you all on this journey as we uh, break these episodes down. We are looking forward to your expertise and your breakdowns, especially on what exactly happens in a courtroom when you're in the middle of closing arguments and 
mayhem ensues. So we'll get to that later. Lauren, welcome back. You had a couple weeks off. Glad to have your back. Thank you. It has been a wild several months, and uh, I am very glad to be back. I'm hoping this time there will be no more gaps in between episodes. We are hoping that as well. And we've got the Thor coverage coming up soon, as soon as it releases on Disney+. And I know you're itching to talk about that. I very much am. And Chris, you are here as you always have been over the past year, and you have changed your background. Well, once again, you have to have a background, I think, that fits what we're talking about. So I found some nice She-Hulk art done by the wonderful, my favorite comic artist right now, Peach Momoko. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed otherwise. By the way, Michelle wishes she could be here, but she just couldn't. She's not feeling very well. We hope to have her back next week because we do know she was really looking forward to talking about She-Hulk. As a matter of fact, when we messaged her about this episode, she was like, oh, no, that's this week. Because ah! she was forgotten that the episode was here. So, yes, she is looking forward to it. And we hope to have her next week. A big thank you to Eric and Julil Wald for spending time with us last episode. If you haven't caught that, go back one episode, listen to their time with us. We hope we started some contact with Ryan Reynolds because he has a Deadpool number one. Eric does that. He wants to have Ryan Reynolds sign and AC Bradley because Julia has a what if script that she's dying to get in front of somebody. So go to our Twitter feed and like some of those tweets that we tried to connect them up with Ryan and AC and boost them for visibility. All right, guys, we're spending daylight here and we have a wonderful episode of She-Hulk to talk about. You guys ready? Very. Absolutely. Here we go. I do not object. She-Hulk Attorney at Law, Episode 1, premiered on Disney Plus Thursday, August 18th, 2022. The episode was titled A Normal Amount of Rage. The IMDb description reads, Jen Walters' world is turned upside down after a freak accident leaves her with superpowers. Lauren, who directed the episode? This episode was directed by Kat Poirot, who has 30 directing credits starting in 2007 including one of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, four of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, including one of my favorite episodes, The Gang Wins the Big Game, one episode of Modern Family, two of Dead to Me, the 2022 film Marry Me with Jennifer Lopez, and six episodes of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Did you happen to catch some information that I believe the showrunner wants Jennifer Lopez to come into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I'm that i mean she's already selena let's have her as something else i love yeah so we'll see if that happens anthony who wrote the episode so the episode was written by jessica gow who is also the showrunner she's got several writing credits starting in 2008 she wrote nine episodes of robot chicken two episodes of lab rats two episodes of silicon valley seven episodes of rick and morty including the infamous pickle rick episode and six of the nine she hulk episodes she is also the showrunner. She's got seven production credits, eight episodes of Take My Wife, 10 episodes of Corporate, and Easter Sunday. I'm looking forward to her in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She seems to have a good handle on stuff, and uh, this 
episode, if it's any indication of the series, will be awesome. As always, with the first episode of a new series, we start running down the main cast for the series. This won't be the total cast of the entire series, but it's the main cast, and it is the actors that we are going to talk about. Lauren, we're going to start with you. Which actors do you want to talk about? I would love to talk about Tatiana Maslany, who plays Jennifer Walters slash She-Hulk. She's best known for Orphan Black, where she played, like, I don't know, 80% of the characters on the show. I first saw her in a little horror movie called Ginger Snaps 2, which I highly recommend that whole series. And yes, she's amazing, and I love her. I was kind of on the fence about her as Jen Walters, because She-Hulk is very, very buff, and Tatiana is tiny. but. She's doing a wonderful job here, I think. Mark Ruffalo also comes back as Bruce Banner, and this time he is specifically Smart Hulk. And what I really loved about his performance here is you can tell that Bruce and Jen are the kind of cousins who actually like each other, but he also doesn't try to take over the show. This could very easily have been hey, this is the Bruce Banner Hulk show. And then, though, yeah, there's also Jen. But this is very much Hulk as a supporting character, Hulk doing what he needs to do to kind of help get to the origin of Jen to take off, which we'll talk more about later. We also saw a bit of the fantastic Jamila Jamil. She will be playing Titania. Uh, Jamila was... uh, I think at least for me, best known as Tahani from The Good Place, which, you know, my good friend Jennifer Lopez assured me was a fantastic show. That's a joke for those of you who watched The Good Place. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what she brings to the character. I think Titania is one of the most sympathetic villains in the comics. And she's also a long running foe of Jen's. So I'm curious to see how they're going to bring that character in while also tweaking it for the MCU. So, And I think Jamila is going to do a fantastic job with it. We also have several characters that weren't featured in this episode, although one was Nikki Ramos is the character named Ginger Gonzaga played her. We'll get more of her in the future. Josh Sagara. Sagara is going to play Augustus Pug Pugleys. And John Boss as Todd. You have some cameos, which is the best way I can describe them. They've been announced in casting. It's kind of spoilerly, so fast forward 30 seconds if you don't want to know. But Tim Roth will be returning as Emil Blonsky, who plays Abomination, and Benedict Wong as Wong, and Charlie Cox as Mac Murdoch. I've heard that his appearance is going to be a lot more comical than his character has been. Before, but we also have one other Lauren that you want to talk about. I do. I really love this actress. Renee Elise Goldberry is showing up as Mallory Book at some point. Renee Elise Goldberry is probably best known as Angelica Schuyler in Hamilton. And she's also in, she's in a bunch of other stuff, probably most notably for me in Altered Carbon, where she plays like a, a freedom fighter type character. She is an amazing actress, an amazing singer, and I'm really, really excited to see her in the MCU. Altered Carbon Season 2 is still on my watch list. I don't know if it's still on yours or not. 
it's still on my watch list, mostly because of her and Anthony Mackie. When season two dropped, it was right around the time that the author was being kind of a D-bag. So that really soured me on it. But season one was fun. Yeah, I just haven't had a chance to watch it. So we'll see it. All right. So now is the time in the show where we remind you of what exactly happened during the episode. It's a synopsis. It's exclusive to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. You won't get this anywhere else. And trust me, you probably don't want to get it anywhere else. But we're going to go through it so we don't talk about what happened in the episode point by point as we discuss it. Lauren, we'll start off with you. What happened in this episode of She-Hulk? Well, our long-awaited single female lawyer, single female lawyer, MCU show begins with an updated pre-roll that includes Jane Foster Thor and Miss Marvel. And how far we've been since 2008. So Jennifer Walters, already a superpowered individual, prepares for her winning closing arguments in her office with characters that will become important later in the series, we assume, before breaking the fourth wall and helping the viewers get up to speed with her Hulkness origins. A few months ago, and we know this because Jennifer Walters tells us, and also because the showrunner is nice enough to give us a cry on stating a few months ago, cousins Jen Walters and Bruce Banner, yeah, you know, that Bruce, they're going on a road trip. Jen dreamily wonders if her crush and Bruce's friend and colleague, Steve Rogers, was a virgin, while Bruce experiences the genius of Jen's Cheetos and Chopsticks invention. And out of nowhere, not actually nowhere, dead celestial hand, I really mean nowhere here, like out of left field, there's a spaceship. The Sakaran Class 8 courier craft surprises Jen, causing her to violent swerve the mid-2010s Ford Escape out of the way and crash down the hillside. Our heroes are left injured and bleeding. As Jen frees Bruce from the car, his blood merges with hers, causing Jen to hulk out for the first time. Jen, now She-Hulk, runs away into the woods before awakening later that night, once again in human form. After receiving kind stranger bar restroom aid from a ladies' party group, Jen is able to call Bruce for a pickup. While Jen is waiting for Bruce, she hulks out again when three guys get too friendly with her in the street. But she eventually wakes up in Bruce's seaside villa, built and financed by Tony Stark. Bruce tells Jen that she is now a Hulk and begins her 15-year training journey. Which, step one, put her in an absolute psychopath's torture chamber until she transforms. Now, naturally, given Jen is the lead character for the series, she doesn't die, but Bruce and Jen both find out there is no alter ego for Jen. Jen Walters is herself as both her human form and as a Hulk, and this leads to many questions for fans as to what exactly has been going on with Bruce and the big guy for 15 years. Then we move on to step two, which is dialectical behavioral therapy, which I'm sure uh, my co-host on Capes on the Couch, Doc Issues, would have quite a bit to say about this. It's an evidence-based psychotherapy, but it's clinical, not spiritual, you know? Jen proves very adept at using her whole strength and agility, I guess, while Bruce turns somewhat competitive. As a training break, Bruce shows Jen how Hulks cannot get drunk. And Jen's new after-party power is being able to transform at will, outgrowing Bruce's 15-year journey of training. Jen then decides to go home and return to her regular life, 
but Bruce has other thoughts. The disagreement leads to our Hulk versus She-Hulk fight, which is actually pretty cool, force claps and all. During the fight, Bruce's bar takes one up the gut from the tumbling duo, leading to the end of the fight and the two reconciling while fixing the bar. And now we're back to the lawyer show. Jen gets into the courtroom for closing arguments, but She-Hulk's comic book nemesis Titania tries to crash the party, but Jen saves her shoes, leaving them aside, and transforms into her Hulk in order to subdue the interrupter. Jen becomes herself again, puts her shoes back on, and is now ready for her closing argument. And in the post credit scene, Jen learns when Steve Rogers lost his virginity and yells an epic final cry reminiscent of Team America. Captain America fumbled the opportunity to give us more info into his personal life. <laughs> Which, if you didn't see it, he had an epic tweet that was laughing and with a zip. So. Uh, More on that later, by the way. We have more information on that. All right. That was a great synopsis. Thank you very much to everybody for reading it. We're going to move on to our first thoughts of the episode. Lauren, what'd you think? I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the sense of humor. I absolutely love Tatiana Maslany and everything she does. So, of course, I loved her here. She brought a great sense of humor to it and just uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what else she does over the series. I have to admit that this and the latter half of this Marvel have kind of been soured for me by the behind the scenes drama with the VFX teams, but I still enjoyed the show. It seems to me like everybody here really understands the comic book characters that they're portraying, at least the ones that there's enough of the character in the show for that to become evident. And they all just seem to be having so much fun with it. And if they're having this much fun, imagine how much fun we're going to have watching it. I definitely enjoyed it. I appreciate the story. I'm looking forward to what I imagine is going to be a melding of the comic runs, specifically the Dan Slott run, a single green female, and the Charles Soule and Javier Polito runs. It really looks like that's, those are the two main inspirations for this series. In addition, the fact that this is a shorter series, the episodes are shorter, but there's more of them. So this is definitely more of the comedic styling. I will say there was a lot of hullabaloo made about the visual effects and the CGI. It was a little dodgy at times, particularly with respect to Jen and her facial features, but it didn't completely take me out of the story. So I'm wondering to see what the future episodes are going to look like and how that's going to play into the story. This was one that the whole family had fun watching. The whole family does not watch and enjoy every single Marvel property, but this one, everybody was laughing. The biggest laugh was actually when she said the thing. She said, I have a normal amount of rage, and everybody was laughing about that. That was pretty cool. And then I do have some nitpicks, which I'll get to later, but overall, I'm looking forward to the series. It's, in my opinion, a great next series to Miss Marvel. I'm really looking forward to what the MCU has going forward. This is one of the things that's going to close out phase four. And then of course the black Panther movie Wakanda later on will close out phase four. So I think so far we still have to see them stick the landing and everything, but I think so far the series has started out great. 
Well, we're going to start out talking about the origin and how different it's been. So, Lauren, why don't you take first stabs at that? Okay. I am not by any means a She-Hulk expert. I love the character. I need to read more of her stuff. But in the comics, the way that she gets her powers is she's hanging out with Bruce and is then shot by the mafia. And Bruce gives her a blood transfusion. And here we just have blood from an open wound mixing with hers. It's a little bit more contrived in some ways, but, you know, it is what it is. And honestly, being shot by a mafioso doesn't really fit the tone of the show. So I'm okay with it. Yeah, Kaylee has just gotten to the point where she turns and asks me when stuff like this happens, if it's comic accurate. And this one, for all practical purposes, it is comic accurate with it. You have Bruce Blood going into Jen. Really, I don't think it matters why and how. It made sense in the plot of the story. It makes sense with the blood mixing. And you can even come back and twist it more and say it wasn't a lot of blood if you need to, to explain some other differences between She-Hulk powers and Hulk Prime powers. Yeah, the difference was needed, I think, because it's very clear that this version of Bruce would never volunteer his blood for anything. He would never want to provide a sample or a transfusion of his blood. So they had to work around that. And also, as, as Lauren indicated, getting shot by a mafia boss doesn't really fit with the light tone of the series. So the car crash and the accidental merging, I think, from a practicality standpoint, makes more sense. Is it a bit contrived? Yes. But in a universe in which all manner of things happen that I think are frankly way more contrived than this, this is the least contrived way that it could have been done. And to, again, to Chris's point, the fact that it was only a little bit of blood may explain why she's able to retain a large percentage of her persona when she transforms versus Bruce. So I just had a thought as we were talking. So first of all, the ship that comes is from Sakaar. And it coming, it's coming to Hulk. Do we think it's like a fan wanting an autograph or something? And secondly, are they mutants? Because in the episode they're talking and Bruce is like, hey, our genetics let us process gamma rays differently. And we've already had the kind of Ms. Marvel mic drop with that. So what do y'all think? First of all, with the ship, it's an excellent beginning to the story of Planet Hulk. This has been brought up a few places online that I've saw. And the fact that the Marvel Studios has been very tight-lipped about the possibility of a Planet Hulk work, I would assume movie, but could be a series, I don't know. It's been very, very, very tight-lipped, which leads me to say that they are, in fact, working on it. And they might have been tight-lipped about it just because of the rights involved. You know, Universal still has, as far as I know, the rights for a solo Hulk or a Hulk-led show or Hulk-led film. So that could be uh, an issue there. But everybody's saying this leads nicely into that. And if you don't know, and I've never read it, so I don't know for sure, but everybody that I've talked to has said Planet Hulk is like the best Hulk story out there. Yeah, I'll leave it to you guys to confirm that or not. But I think that's why they threw in that ship at that point in time is they want to then lead it to the point where you get to a Planet Hulk story or War of Hulk or whatever it's called. What do you guys think? They used a lot of the Planet Hulk stuff 
in Thor Ragnarok, though. Like the character. Yeah, I was going to say that from a up. from a from a storytelling standpoint, they told a a lot of that, and then the fact that they brought Hulk back. As far as World War Hulk, you can't tell World War Hulk without Planet Hulk, and that was teased a little bit in the sense that we already knew that Hulk went off into space. So to send him off again, that's at this point, I don't know that they're going to be able to tell Planet and Planet Hulk and World War Hulk without redoing a lot of the stuff that we've already seen. So I, I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen. Could it be a Sakaran fan? That's, I think, a more likely possibility than any lead-in to the, the comic storylines. All of that being said, through the power of flashbacks, anything is possible. Good point. Previously on, just like they did with uh, Thor 2, the Dark World, right? But we're going to move on and... Actually, we're not going to move far because as much as this is a She-Hulk show or a She-Hulk episode, there was a lot of Hulk story to be told here. We got why his arm didn't heal. We got what he did during the blip. We got why he was staying in human form. We got why being a Hulk doesn't mean you have to have a separate identity. And using Jen's blood, he can now be Smart Hulk slash Smug Hulk, as Jen called him, which I really appreciated. I enjoyed all that background. It almost overtook the show. And I'm glad they did the intro that they did with Jen in her office and then breaking the fourth wall and then doing the origin and then coming back at the end. I did appreciate that. But there was just an awful lot of Hulk stuff going on here. Anthony, what did you think of that? I liked how they incorporated Bruce because obviously you can't tell Jen's origin without using Bruce. I think... This episode may be a bit Bruce-heavy, but it was necessary to show enough of Bruce to provide a contrast for what I think is going to be how Jen is going to handle things moving forward. I think that's the point of the story, is to show Jen really trying to merge and appreciate her greenness, her green side, because in the comics... Jen spends an overwhelming majority of her time as She-Hulk. Very little of it is spent in her human form. So I think you needed to really demonstrate that that comparison between Jen and Bruce in order to advance the story moving forward. I don't know how much we're going to see of Bruce or Mark Ruffalo in the future episodes. From what I've read, it's really not uh, Bruce-focused at all, but this episode needed to be a little more Bruce-heavy just to sell things moving forward. So we'll see how this plays out moving, uh, you know, as, as we advance. I think you also have to think about those fans who don't really know a lot about She-Hulk, but they know Hulk from watching all the MCU stuff. So when you have, you know, I'm, right now I'm thinking of these kids who have grown up with the MCU and are now like 18, 19, 20 years old, and it's making me feel old. But when they're coming in and the only Marvel character experience they have really is the MCU, you really need that Hulk character aspect to explain where She-Hulk is coming from here. And yeah, it's going to get really annoying to me if there's a, this much Hulk throughout the rest of the series. But for this one episode, it's just there so that we can know where Jen is coming from in all of this. One thing that I don't think has really been touched on in the show, honestly hasn't really been touched on in the MCU in general, 
is the reason why Bruce's Hulk is like that and why Jen's wouldn't. So the Ang Lee movie actually tackled this a lot more. The whole thing was that Bruce was from, you know, his, his dad was incredibly abusive and had rage issues. And so that's why he kind of sealed that part of himself away. It's like, okay, no, rage leads to this. Not that I'm not doing that. So that's why when the Hulk happened, the Hulk it is his rage personified. And what we see in the MCU, what they've done a good job with is showing like, hey, he's done a lot of work, a lot of you know mental work, the DBT, all of that to try and come to terms with that rage. And that's what causes him to, you know, be smart hole, smug hole. Whereas Jen did not have that upbringing. She had a much more normal one. And in the comics was also like, hey, you can stay over here while your dad's being hurt. But one thing that I'm really glad that the show does address is that there is a lot of anger involved in being raised female and having that experience. When you start getting catcalled when you're like 10, 11 years old, uh, when from pretty much the moment that you're able to go walk alone, all of your female relatives are telling you, remember to hold the keys and like, like Wolverine claws. That way, if anyone attacks you, don't wear headphones because people can attack you. Don't be difficult at work because then people won't take you seriously. You're already holding a lot of anger and a lot of because just, you know, it's, it's the system against you. It's joy. And so Jen is more in touch with that part of her and controlling it instead of hiding it away. I do enjoy the fact that what we got was a different journey with Jennifer than we got with Bruce. Totally. It, it, the MCU is a different place, even if you're living in the MCU. It's a different place now than it was back in 2008 when the whole thing started. And I think it, she's more accepted just out of the gate with being a super. But her journey as a totality is completely different. And part of that is because she has a different personality, which she points out. It leads to some competitiveness, which we'll talk about in a second. But it is a completely different journey. One thing I do have to add is I really, okay, I know it was frustrating Bruce insisting, no, this is the right way. This is the right way. If you've known many scientists, many engineers, you know that we tend to do things certain ways. You have to follow procedures. You have to, you know, consider all the evidence. So he has all of this evidence. And the fact that he had what he thought was the guidebook to being a Hulk. And then here comes Jen with all this like anomalous data about it. So there's that frustration there of having all of your work for the past 15 years, having to throw it out the window. And as somebody who used to work in a lab and knows a lot of biologists, a lot of engineers, it pleased me to see that dichotomy there of, you know, the very science-minded, rigid, this is how we do it, versus Jen coming in and just kind of freestyling. And let's talk about Jen's freestyling, because she's breaking the fourth wall. Chris, I know you've been talking about this fourth wall breaking for weeks and weeks now. What'd you think of how they pulled it off? I really love that they got this fourth wall break out of the way right away. For people like me, who knew it was going to happen eventually, 
I was going to be sitting there the whole episode. Is this when she's going to do it? Is this when she's going to do it? She's going to do it. Kaylee would have been a little bit less like that, but I've told her about it enough. She was also excited about it. And for people who don't know about She-Hulk, yeah, let's just get this out of the way so they know about it so we can get them excited about it too. And everybody can be all excited at the same time. And then we can have comparisons to Deadpool. And then we can have comparisons to Gwenpool because there's more fourth wall breaking there. And you can have so much fourth wall breaking and maybe they can all get together and talk about how they all need to have a show of fourth wall breakers. I would actually love that. Yeah, so Jen has been fourth wall breaking since before Deadpool was a twinkle in Rob Liefeld's eye. I'm very glad that they got that out of the way. It really does add to the comedic tone of the show, the very, not sitcom-y, but, you know, it, it is more of a comedy than a lot of the other MCU stuff. It's not taking itself very seriously. And having Jen be able to kind of do a wink and a nod at the audience what we see in this episode is that Jen is a bit of an audience stand-in, I guess, because she's doing the fourth wall of sides, like, yeah, you know what's going on. And then with regards to the Captain America thing, this is something that I've seen on the internet since 2011, whenever it was that First Avenger came out. And I, I dig that. I really dig that. It's not quite a meta thing, but it's close. One thing that I always love to talk about during these episodes is the super-powered fights, the superhero fights. We got one. We got Hulk versus Hulk. It was going to happen at some point, so I'm glad they got that out of the way right away. It's a little short, but hey, we got it, right, Anthony? Yeah, and there were a lot of folks complaining, as fanboys are wont to do, and I say fanboys specifically, that in the trailers we see the clip of... Bruce tossing the rock and then Jen throwing one further than him and the fight and everything and complaining, Hulk has been nerfed. This is the MCU now and blah, 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 blah. Hulk hasn't been nerfed. Okay. he launched the boulder through the ozone layer as evidenced by it burning up, you know, upon exit. And he's also not going to go all out against his cousin. This is somebody who was able to tank hits left and right in Endgame, he's not all of a sudden going to turn around and you know get warped by his cousin Jen. It's a situation where they're butting heads, they're family. Yeah, they're, they're in a bit of a squabble and because they're both big, green, and strong now, it's a lot more destructive of a squabble. But still, you're not going to go all out if you're wrestling with your cousin or your sibling, whatever. It's just enough to say, hey, I'm stronger than you or whatever. So I really appreciated the fight. And so I think that a lot of the criticism, such as it is, was unnecessary. And frankly, any modicum of logic and understanding of family dynamics would back up my point. I have a little brother and we would fight about things. We, I mean... Obviously, we'd go hit each other because that's what brothers end up doing. But it was never to the point of really leaving marks even. So, yeah, this makes perfect sense. And when I was teaching him how to do things, you know, I'm not going to sit there and throw the baseball as hard as I can at him while I'm teaching him how to throw it and stuff. Just like 
Bruce isn't going to sit there and throw a rock through the ozone layer as he's teaching Jen that she can throw boulders. It's just good training to give somebody a, even if it's not exactly attainable for them, a pretty close to attainable example of what they can possibly pull off. You don't want to sit there and throw it 100 miles an hour while you're teaching a five-year-old how to throw a baseball because they're going to max out at like, what, 10, I think, something like that. Plus, most of the complaints I have seen from Hulk getting nerfed and everything were from people who, quite frankly, I don't think that they knew that She-Hulk already existed. Y'all were lucky with your siblings. My sister and I tried to kill each other a lot. Like, she drowned me, threw a cat at me. But that said, I never actually tried to kill her. So I guess I could see the, you know, Bruce pulling back. I have to say the fight was probably my least favorite part of the episode. Not because it was, you know, badly done or anything, though, yeah, again, CG's kind of dodgy. We will address that later. But it kind of slowed the episode down for me. It was like this thing that they had to get out of the way. Anthony, you wanted to talk about the CGI. I think now's a great time to talk about it. Yeah, there was a lot made when the trailer was released about the quality of the visual effects. And of course, a lot of stories have come out over the past couple weeks and months that the VFX houses that Marvel hires are overworked, understaffed, potentially underpaid. Yeah, they're underpaid and overworked. And so a lot of these projects, they have a set deadline and you're going to meet the deadline come hell or high water. And so that leads to a lot of a lack of quality or, or a drop in quality because it's good enough. Let's just get it done, you know, close enough for government work. And I'll say that, and as I said in the, the earlier show notes, it, it was dodgy at times. Again, some of the, it's the lighting, I think, and maybe the, the quality faces are also really hard to pull off on CGI. And so this idea that, you know, you're going to get flawless CGI you could spend hours on this, I think, is and weeks and months to try and get this right, even without everything else, is going to be difficult. It didn't pull me out of the story, but there were a couple times where I was like, ooh, that shot could have been rendered a little more thoroughly. You know, like I said, it is just, it's a nitpick. It's not going to impact the full enjoyment of the story for me, because I'm focusing more on the story and the writing but it is a concern. I did have an issue with whenever Jennifer Walters was speaking as she was She-Hulk. Most of the time, I shouldn't say all the time, her lips simply did not match what she was saying. And I know it's incredibly difficult to do and everything. I think Bruce Banner as Hulk, maybe it's because he's been flushed out. The CGI has been flushed out. Maybe he used the same CGI people. That was a little bit better. But Jennifer Walters was definitely more cartoonish in her appearance, and the speaking was an issue that I had. So we need to praise Malia Araya, who I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the name right. I'm sorry if I'm not. Who is the onset She-Hulk? She is six five. She is buff as hell. And so what they basically do is paste Tatiana's face over hers. There's a similar thing going on right now in what we do in the shadows with Colin Robinson where another actor will be the body and they'll just kind of paste the face over. And 
it works better for me with what we do in the shadows because that show is so inherently ridiculous. This one is trying to be more, it's still ridiculous, but it's trying to be more grounded. So it's a lot more, it stands out to me at least. We'll see if we get used to it over the course of the series. But yeah, if you go and watch other performances where it's basically character head pasted on someone else's body. Right now, Orphan First Kill just came out and the actress is like 15 years older than she was in the first one. So they're doing the same thing there. And that one, though, has, you know, movie budget. This has, I mean, it has Marvel TV budget, but it's still TV budget. Chris, this series episode so far has given us, as I was stating before with the Hulk, has given us some information that ties nicely into the MCU. So this one, I think, is going to be a big turning point in what Marvel is going to end up doing with their TV shows. You have here, you're talking about Tony Stark building the bar, and you can see Bruce is sad about it, but he's not going to have a complete breakdown or anything. You have the Ultron piece of the Ultron helmet just hanging out in the background. You have Hulk's helmet from when he was in Thor Ragnarok hanging out in the background. You have all this stuff that is just there. And kind of like how we could sit there with the collector and, ooh, there's this thing and that thing and that thing over there. You can do that with this show too. And I think there's going to end up being more of that, especially because you have the ability of Jen Walters at, you know, walking down a hallway at something. Oh, look audience. There's a picture of Steve Rogers doing a thing. This is, I think a great opportunity to start having the MCU history be a bit of in the MCU real world history. I just want to point out that I loved that when you're looking at Tony Stark's helmet, that you got a little bit of that Avengers theme that was dialed in just for the brief second that the camera was panned on that helmet. So I do enjoy the course over the course of the past few works, whether they're the film or on the small screen, that they've been using these themes that really bring out those points that we've seen so many times before. As far as Tony Stark goes, we can't leave these two alone, Bruce and Tony, without Lauren having her final say here. Oh, science bros. I was having emotions. Just them being friends, them carving their initials in the bar, them working on the bar together. I love them platonically. I love them romantically. It gives me a lot of feelings, and it makes me very sad that now Bruce's probably best friend is gone. I mean, there's more reasons than that to be sad about me being dead, but. Yeah, I did appreciate that we got a little more depth to that relationship because I feel like throughout the movies, Tony was one of the few people who really truly understood Bruce. I mean, yes, in the first Avengers, he was needling him a bit, but when they were really speaking in like Age of Ultron, and he's like, you know, you could be sitting on a beach 
sipping drinks, turning brown instead of green, and not looking over your shoulder looking for Veronica, he really got Bruce. And so it was nice for Bruce to explain more of that conversation and that relationship and really just solidified how much of a, of a great character Tony was. And again, all credit to Robert Downey Jr. for pulling that off. Speaking of Age of Ultron, that whole the lullaby thing, what was up with that? I have no idea. That was, it cracked me up. I really don't have an explanation for that. Yeah, that was, I'm glad they left it at that. Although that whole scene, I think, gets me into one of my issues that I have. I think the entire episode was cut a little bit too short. And I have two specific moments that I can point to that I'm like, say what? One is when Banner was telling Jennifer about her lethal dose of gamma radiation. And she mentions that is not something to pause on. He did not pause. She immediately responded. There was no pause there. So I think if they would have cut it to the point where if there was a pause, that would have made more sense. Another cut that I had an issue with, and maybe it was a CGI thing, I don't know, is when they're in the courtroom and they're having that final fight, Jennifer threw the desk at Tatiana and she's underneath the desk. And then the next second you see her coming at Jennifer and she punches her and and that's the end of the fight. How did she get around the desk? Where was the desk? That was a cut that I had uh, an issue with as well as the fight between She-Hulk and Hulk where he was pushed back by her force clap and then he came back around from the side like how did he even have time to do that i think it was just a little bit too quick in the cut basically and i don't know if they were really strapped for time so they were cutting every little pause along the way or what but i did notice there was a dedicated editorial decision to keep things rolling just bang 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 and more maybe that's more of the sitcom style but I was having an issue with how quick everything was cut, but I pushed that all aside because I was just enjoying what I was watching overall. Did anybody else have an issue with the edits and the cuts in this, or is that just me? I'm sure if I went back and watched again, now that I've heard that complaint, I would be like, oh, I see. At the time, I didn't notice it. Well, Titania obviously just threw the desk off of her. So, boom, it just obliterated straight into space because she threw it off so hard because she's really strong. And Hulk took one leap to the side and then triangulated back and because he's really fast. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it wasn't something that I fully paid attention to. Again, like Lauren said, maybe if I go back and rewatch it, then I'll go, oh yeah, okay, I get it. But I'm focused more on the stories and less on editing and cuts, unless it's blatant where there's where there's a ton of fast cuts for something that shouldn't take a long time i'm looking at you i think it was taken climbing over a fence where there's like four cuts in the span of like a second and a half of somebody trying to climb over a fence you know if, it, if it's done like that where where there's so many cuts because you're trying to cover up stunts or something along those lines then i'll notice it but something like that it didn't trigger for me Got them WWE cuts going on. And another production note that I just wanted to touch upon is the fact that the show is now airing on Thursday nights instead of Wednesdays. It was done to deconflict from Star Wars, and they put Star Wars on Wednesday. I think the perception was that the Star Wars was the more important series out of the two, and they put it on Wednesday versus Thursday. After I watched this first episode, 
I could kind of see it from the point of remember Thursday nights were like must see TV on NBC when you had like Cheers and you had Friends and stuff like that. This is add more of a sitcom feel to it, which really played well at Thursday nights. So while I'm a bit salty about them moving She-Hulk to Thursday and giving the precedence to Andor in this case on Wednesday, I can kind of see it from Thursday night was a great night for everybody to sit down and watch TV. I don't know if anybody has a thought on that or, or wants to talk about that or not. I haven't thought about Plessy TV in years. So thank you for reminding me of that. I do like that thought that it might be like an homage to that. I don't have a problem with the dates moving. I'm just glad to have more TV to watch on top of all the other TV that I need to watch. No, it's 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 nice to have them both on different days, in my opinion, because you sit down, you watch one, you sit down, you watch the other one. There's not really a conflict there. Yeah, it just it works out great for my schedule. And I love this episode because it gave me a good toast to give to a good time during a hard time. I'm going to use that. That was actually a really, really neat and touching toast to have. And it's applicable to a lot of other things. Now, Anthony, we're going to talk now about the final. You seem to really want to talk about that mid-credit or post-credit scene or whatever you want to call it. Uh, So, yeah, what happened there? I did some reading on this, and apparently in early drafts of the series, Jen's quest to find out information about Steve Rogers' sex life was going to be like a long-running joke that it was going to be sprinkled throughout the series. And they went to Kevin Feige, and apparently Feige gave them the canonical answer that Bruce then provides. And so I think it was, I'm a little sad we don't get to see this recurring thing. I think it would have been maybe a little funnier if it had happened maybe towards the end to give more, I guess, oomph to it, that it would have been a little more satisfaction in the reveal, but still just the humor that it was used in it. And I also, I'm always entertained, although I'm wondering if they go to the well with it a little too much about Marvel's use of cutting off the F-bomb just after the fa, and just not letting it go any further than that. They've done it a couple times. We were talking about this like thick pre-roll. They've done it twice with Spider-Man. They did it once with Nick Fury, which was just as much of a Samuel L. Jackson homage as anything else. I just thought it was funny. And then, of course, Chris Evans' response to the whole thing was hilarious i think even it would have been a perfect use of his of a gif of his reaction from free guy which was i think funnier than it had any right to be i was doing a little bit of investigation as well i ended up on a decider.com article which i will put in the show notes and it did confirm the fact that kevin feige did supply the answer to the question now the only answer to the question we got right now is when Steve Rogers lost his virginity to. We don't know who he lost his virginity to. So the Decider article actually lists some possibilities. I would just like to run through them really quick with you guys, and we can come up with our own or who our headcanon is. But I will say that this could be the dangling thread that goes throughout the nine episodes. We know he did, but who was it? So Some of the possibilities are Peggy Carter, played by Haley Atwell. I mean, they ended up together after all, so 
Maybe that was meant to be from the beginning. Although, if you go back to that first Captain America movie, I just don't see that tension being they actually got together. I think they were continually trying to get together. You had Lieutenant Lorraine, who's played by Natalie Dormer. So that's a really good possibility, especially to all those people that have watched her in other works like Game of Thrones. You had a standard USO dancer, you know, just pick one. And nobody really likes that because it doesn't have anything to it. And then, and then of course, there's Star-Lord's mom. And you're like, what? Yeah, Laura Haddock played an autograph seeker in the Captain America, the first Avenger movie. She was then recast as Meredith Quinn in Guardians of the Galaxy. So did Steve Rogers get together with Star-Lord's mom? Awkward. I thought that they said that he lost it to one of the USO dancers. How'd you find that out? I thought that that was the line of dialogue. No, he was just lost it to somebody. Well, yeah, I guess. I got to admit, though, as a Stucky fan, I'm a little disappointed that on the little, like, you know, murder board there with all the possibilities that Bucky wasn't on there. But, you know... I think James Gunn came out and basically debunked it in terms of, and I thought it was Star Lord's grandmother, not not the mother, because Quill would Peter Quill would have been too young, and, and Meredith Quill would have been too young for it to be 1943. But I think the rumor was it was going to be Star Lord's grandmother. But I think James Gunn said the ages didn't quite work for it. But he was invested in the theory, and James Gunn, of course, is very active on Twitter and engaging with fans and stuff. And he was like, "It's a good theory, but that it wasn't her." Kaylee this morning busted out the idea without knowing anything about anything that James Gunn has ever said in her entire life that she thinks it could have been Star-Lord's grandma and they just look the same and that's why they could use the same actress for Star-Lord's mom and this person and she also says I still have a better butt than Steve Rogers. (laughs) All right, so that's the bulk of our discussion here. Any last thoughts? Lauren, I'll let you go first. Okay, I am excited to see where the show goes. I'm really enjoying just the fun tone of it. I am looking forward to all the cameos and I'm yeah, I'm just I'm very excited. I'm still a little bit salty that they're not dropping this on Wednesdays because you have new comic book day. Star Wars doesn't have a dedicated day. This I think this should have stayed on Wednesday, but it's going to be a fun show and it's going to give us some more time to get ready to record and on the not breaking the fourth wall side of things i'm just really excited to see this interaction between she hulk and titania the whole time i enjoyed it i'm looking forward to the legal aspect of things in future episodes and as an attorney i kind of always nitpick those scenes so i reserve the right to make any future objections and do not waive any objections at this time, but I do reserve the right to make them in the future. I have one reclama to this whole thing. Lauren, you asked two questions and I answered the one, but we never went back to it. Are they mutants? That's a great question, especially coming off the heels of Ms. Marvel when they were talking about just different genetic codes. And that's exactly what Bruce or smart hulk was referring to i think it's very real possibility that in that definition these hulks are mutants 
Yeah, it, I mean, technically, from a genetic standpoint, they are a mutant. They have a mutation that's not part of the norm that has an effect. But yeah, are they Marvel mutants is, I guess, the real big thing. I was kicking myself over that. Sorry, I used to work in genetics. This is, this is my lawyer thing, Anthony. All right. Well, next time we will be talking about She-Hulk Attorney at Law, Season 1, Episode 2. Don't have an, an episode title for that yet, but we will get it when we see the episode. Meantime, we have three weeks worth of Marvel news to cover, and we have some doozies here. So let's get to it. Our first story details who is going to be directing the Kang Dynasty. Marvel's made some directorial decisions here. Anthony, what you got for us? With Marvel's recent announcement regarding films in phases four through six at San Diego Comic-Con, there's been some speculation about creative control of those films. But one notable film does have a director attached. Destin Daniel Cretton, director of Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, was confirmed to be helming Avengers The Kang Dynasty. Marvel, once again, is using its solo films as a testing ground for the Tenpole Avengers movies, and Cretton was praised for his blend of action and character building in Shang-Chi. No news on a writer for the film, and nothing is really known about the story outside of the obvious inclusion of Jonathan Majors playing Kang, who is going to be the villain of the upcoming Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I was thinking it was pretty interesting over the past couple of weeks that the Russo brothers had a lot of interaction and a lot of stories online, none of which were any involvement with the MCU whatsoever. I think they're still gun shy with Marvel Studios after the whole direct to streaming and compensation to the creative team and the actors involved. So I have no firm information about that, but I thought it was interesting that there was a lot of talk that they had a lot of, this is what happened over the course of our films. And there was no moving forward in the MCU. Also, I do believe I read somewhere that Destin will not be involved in the other major Marvel Studios movie going for. I forget what that is in phase. Secret Wars. Secret Wars. Yeah, he will not be doing Secret Wars from what I read. Well, there's a, there's rumors that because the Russos at the time they were doing press for Infinity War and Endgame, they said, oh, Secret Wars is really one of the other major Marvel storylines that's coming out and we would love to do that so there's rumor that they may possibly bring the russos back for secret wars okay well chris we're gonna divert from the big screen to the small screen now what do you got for us for what if marvel's what if season three yes i said three will further explore the watcher's humanity marvel is already looking ahead to the future of what if with a statement from head of animation brad winderbaum the fact that we have What If going into a third season, it means that we can go a little bit deeper with these characters, especially The Watcher. It's a multiverse story, they're standalone stories, but there is a serialized aspect to it because there's this narrator who loves the subject of these stories. He's the ultimate fanboy. He's watching like we all watch, and he loves these characters like we do. So we can dig in a little deeper into what makes him tick in the second season, and then into the third season, we kind of get to know his humanity a lot more. So at this point, I've heard more about season three than I've heard about season two. What's up with that? They've raised the bar. Yeah. 
Hopefully, Julia Lawal gets in here and gets to write one of these episodes about the humanity of the Watcher. I don't know if that was her idea or not, but she did state last episode that she wanted to write an episode of What If, so I think this would be her chance if everything, all the stars can align and stuff like that. I mean, she does have experience writing a show for people connecting to found family and humanity and making the world a better place. We'll see what happens. Moving on, unfortunately, we're going to be talking about a little bit of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. here. This show was originally made to be an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show, so we're keen on those news stories when they pop up. And unfortunately, there's a potential, although it's kind of been not debunked, but at least given a downplay in the rumor that the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. creators have given blessing to the recasting of Quake which I think would be a huge issue with the fandom. Now, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. co-creator Marissa Tankeron dismissed rumors that the show's creators gave their blessing to recast Quake in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Tankeron responded to reports of rumors that claimed Daisy Johnson slash Quake, played by Chloe Bennett, would have a different origin in the MCU than she did on the ABC series. In particular, the report stated that, quote, the creative team behind AOS gave their blessing, unquote. Tankeron, who co-created Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with Joss and Jed Wheaton, responded on Twitter saying, Uh, our blessing? First I heard about this. The rumor itself has not been confirmed. I think this would be a stab in the gut to fans to be able to do this. I don't know what their plans on doing with those characters i mean we did see at least an inhuman character that came into the mcu with dr strange it wasn't with agents of shield it was with the inhuman show so i just don't know what's going on here i would hope that marvel studios would give more credence to that show than this if marvel studios is going to acknowledge the fact that the Inhumans is a thing that they're going to let stay in their toy box and then they don't bring Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. into it that is I think a huge mistake I think Chloe Bennett was a great choice for the casting of Quake the first time and just Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was such a good show how can you Say that Inhumans is a thing you want to acknowledge in the MCU and not Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're all nodding our heads. Yep. So, Lauren, you have a story on what we've been talking about pretty much all episode on VXF, and it's not just with She-Hulk. It seems to be Marvel-wide. Yeah, so a while ago, like I think a couple months now, it started off when a VFX artist who had worked on Guardians of the Galaxy and Spider-Man Homecoming, among others, was talking about how much VFX artists currently hate working for Marvel because they have so much going on. They're contracting all the places. They don't have like a finished vision in mind, so they're changing things constantly. These people are always in crunch. They talk about having to take time off to recover emotionally from everything. So I've been really, really, really upset at Marvel about this. At a recent Television Critics Association panel, producer and you know, writer Jessica Gao 
touched on the issue and said that she firmly sides with the VFX work. She said, I think everyone on this panel stands in solidarity with workers and is pro-work, Gao said, with Tatiana Maslany adding pro-union. Gao continued, this is just a massive undertaking to have a show of this scale where the character is CG. It's very overwhelming and an enormous thing to take on. It's terrible that a lot of artists feel rushed and feel the workload is too massive. Director of this episode we talked about and executive producer Kat Poirot echoed Gao's statement saying, we stand in solidarity with what they say. If they're feeling pressure, we stand with them. And that's all well and good, but like, what are you going to do about it? It's like, if you apologize to someone and you don't change the behavior that you're apologizing for, does that really count as an apology? It's the same with this. It's like, oh, you can talk about supporting these workers, supporting their union, and but what are you going to do about it? It's kind of interesting in our last episode when we were talking to Eric and Julia, they were talking about their experience with the animation for X-Men, the animated series back in the 90s. Back then, it was all hand-drawn, and it was shipped off to, uh, I believe, South Korea, which is where most of the houses were. They might have tried a house in Japan or something, but the point was they had to go overseas, and this was before the day and age of computers, email, file transfers, stuff like that, so they literally either had to ship the product back and forth and talk about it, or they had to travel to the location to get a sense of what was going on and whether it would fit the story or not. We have progressed from that time, but I think it's just interesting that there is a perception that that progression has led to still a crunch on visual effects. The interesting thing also about Eric and Julia is they were saying that I asked them about the serialization of the series back then and what the impact was. They came back and said the biggest issue was actually the animation itself. The Fox Entertainment or Marvel Entertainment slash Fox Kids at the time were just afraid of doing a serialized show when you had so many problems. And it ultimately led to season one being delayed basically by six months. There were some previews given out earlier on Halloween and on Thanksgiving, but the show didn't officially premiere in until January, and it was originally supposed to premiere in September. So that gives you an idea of what was going on in the 90s. Today, they're like, no, we need this show to air at this particular time to fit in with the MCU. So we need to get this going on. You know, Lauren, one of our friends actually used to work as a fixer for all this. Sean, he used to be a fixer behind the scenes where the original studio just didn't get it right and they needed to change something. So they either hired out other people to be brought in to help the final fix. And he was one of them, or they actually gave it to somebody else, another house that might have had more headroom for it. And this has been going on for a long time. It's not just recent, but I would hope that in 2022, that we would have gotten our processes to the point where you wouldn't have to be so impactful on the crews. Heck, even television crews have different uh, regulations on how long that they can work. And if they work overtime, then they get X amount of time off. We talked about it a lot when we were talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We talked a lot about it on the Starling Tribune, talking about Arrow and the CW shows. If they did uh, shoot, and it went overnight to the next morning, then they had to take a whole day off, and they only had eight days to do every episode. 
So they had to make concessions then. I'm getting the sense that the visual effects people aren't having any of those concessions. Like they'll do a sprint, but then you got to come back in the work right in the next morning. I have no idea. I'm just going to speculate here. Like they're trying to get something done and they do a render and it gets done at four or five o'clock in the morning. They have to come back to start their next shift at seven, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. So they don't get any time off. I could see that being incredibly stressful. Well, you're seeing this not only in movie and TV VFX, you're seeing it with video game companies like the, the AAA video game companies. You're seeing it with voice acting. There's a lot right now. It's a big transition time in entertainment and the reality isn't like it's not catching up you're having yeah these vfx artists who are just constantly in crunch you're having you know in video games the the artists there just constantly in crunch with voice actors you're having a lot of issues about just like work conditions and pay and things like that with regards to streaming and everything it's like okay well what are the rights here now because the stuff we have is applicable to you know broadcast tv We've talked about this before some about the industry not really catching up with the reality of today. And this is another huge example of that. And the thing is, with Marvel, they're big enough that they have a lot of power. They're the ones who are currently like not quite monopolizing, but close, all these VFX companies. If Marvel decided to change the way they do business, it would be huge. There's so many aspects of the entertainment industry that they have their fingers in now with regard to, you know, streaming and production, VFX. If they made a conscious effort to support the VFX artists in this case, it would absolutely change the way that the industry works. The question is, will they going forward, especially now that there's this big public outcry now that people are speaking out about, hey, here's the horrible conditions I had to work in. I slept at work for a week and got like two hours of sleep a night. Those changes are never going to come from the top down. It's just the way of capitalism, unfortunately. You know, I'm not going to get on too much of a soapbox here, but that change is never going to come from Disney, Marvel. That is how they made their billions of dollars. That's how they were able to afford to buy Marvel. And Lucasfilm and everything else in the first place is by overworking artists and underpaying them, etc. That's the name of the game with capitalism. So that is change is never going to happen because they're just going to continue to make money. The change needs to come from the VFX houses and unionization. And that's the only way through collective bargaining that any changes are going to actually happen. That's where the meaningful impact needs to come from the industry is the VFX artists need to unionize. Is it going to cost them jobs in the short term? Absolutely, because the companies are just going to look to the non-union houses. But eventually, as we've seen with the, with a number of companies, Starbucks and Trader Joe's and things of that nature, there's there's a large wave of collective bargaining happening in this country because we've reached late-stage capitalism and folks are tired of getting abused and you know, overworked and underpaid from it's not just Disney, it's it's literally everywhere. So, until we can all come together and collectively bargain and basically, you know, every job is union or the overwhelming majority of jobs are union. That change is never going to happen from the top down. And I, you know, I don't see that ever coming 
um, unless the blowback is so massive and there's calls for boycotts and things of that nature, then maybe Disney will make some changes about it. But I wouldn't hold my breath on it. Unfortunately, I cannot say any thoughts here in a coherent but also family-friendly enough way beyond go rewind and listen to Anthony and Lauren again. Fair enough. All right, we're going to move on into some feedback. We had an audience reaction given to us on our Discord server, which you can find at guineageek.com slash Discord. Boba Fett ship replied and said, my She-Hulk reaction. Fun, enjoyable time. I've been a She-Hulk fan since her initial Savage She-Hulk introduction. Followed her through the Avengers and Fantastic Four and burns time with the character. I enjoyed the fourth wall breaking. I enjoyed her one-upping Bruce constantly. I thoroughly enjoyed her obsession with Steve Rogers and her proclamation at the end of the mid-credits scene. I'm looking forward to watching this entire series and hopefully seeing her on the big screen at some point, too. Thank you very much, Boba Fett Ship. I am interested to see the crossover from these Disney Plus series into the big screen. Kind of got one with WandaVision. I don't think we were all entirely happy with that, by the way. So I'm looking forward to some better crossovers back and forth between the two. What do you guys think? I mean, I would love to see Tatiana Maslany on a big screen. So, yeah, no complaints here about that possibility. Definitely. I think that's kind of what they've been leaning, leading towards with all of these TV shows that we're going to see more of those characters and their storylines followed onto the, the films. So I'm excited. If they get them onto the big screen and don't have a She-Hulk freaking out that she's going to be in a movie now, then they are wasting the entire fourth wall potential. Yeah, a little bit of that. And also with Ms. Marvel, we know Ms. Marvel is going to be in the Marvels, so we know that's going to happen. I just hope that it's done well. All right, Lauren, it's Saturday. What do you think we should do now? I don't know. Maybe we should bust up a bar on our way out. I want to give a big thank you to Anthony for rejoining us for this rundown of She-Hulk. I'm really looking forward to your legal advice as we go forward. I mean, there's going to be some landmark cases that we're going to talk about. By the way, Anthony, did you see the background of Jen's office? Did you see the close-ups of what was on the shelves and stuff like that? I was looking, but I didn't freeze frame it. I'll probably have to go back and check out some Easter eggs. To look into that, I, I saw the law degree on her wall, but other than that, I didn't. Uh, I didn't focus too much on it. So yes, walk, go to the corner shelves there, and there'll be some really good tidbits for you, especially. I think. Okay, looking forward to it. And thank you very much for being here. Awesome, glad to be here, and uh, looking forward to continuing to come back. I guess we're doing the whole. Where can you find me? I am a co-host of Capes on the Couch, where currently on hiatus, but we will be coming back at some point in September. You can find all of our episodes on our website, capesonthecouch.com. And uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Capes on the Couch. So we're starting to ramp up the social media just a little bit before we come back uh, for season eight of our show. 
I want to thank SP and Chris and Anthony and Michelle and everybody who has been working on this show. Just y- y'all hold down the fort every week. You do the production, the notes and news and everything. And it's just, it's, it's amazing and impressive. And y'all are fantastic. And as to where you can find me, I would say my website, lwselinas.com, but my hosting company went under without telling anyone, and I currently do not have the funds for a new hosting service. You can find me actually starting tomorrow on Nerds with Dice in a Brindlewood Bay game, which is basically like Golden Girls meets Murder, She Wrote meets, I don't know, like the Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, little old women finding supernatural stuff. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, you can also find me on Netflix. I am a voice in the dub of a movie that just came out recently called Don't Blame Karma. I am the mother in it, Mama Sara. And so if you like romantic comedies, check it out. The subtitle version is great. I might be biased, but I think the dub version is great. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yes, everybody here, it's such a fun time getting to come talk about Marvel stuff with SP and Lauren and Michelle for this series, specifically with Anthony, and for you, all of the wonderful listeners who are a large part of why we're doing this. And if you want to find me other places, you can always head over to playcomics.com where there hasn't really been anything for the past few weeks through a combination of life popping up and me forgetting how to read a calendar. But there will be a new episode tomorrow. Could have stayed tight-lipped on what that is, even though by the time you hear this, that episode's probably going to be out. And you can always find me at Twitter and Play Comics Cast. That's where I'm hanging out the most. Thank you very much to our audience. We really appreciate you viewing on YouTube and downloading and listening to our show. If you want to get in touch with us, our Twitter account at Legends of Shield would be a great place to tweet at us or join our Discord server at gonnageek.com slash Discord. Lots of great talk right now. We won't go into depth right now, but there's been a lot of discussion about WB and its questionable choices right now with the DC universe. It's not applicable to this podcast, so we won't go into it. But yeah, there is a lot of stuff going on right there and a lot of people talking about it. So come and join our Discord. Until next time, I'm Director SB. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Chris. And I'm Special Counsel Anthony. Bye. See everybody next time. Bye bye. Bye. Where's the edge of my frame? There it is. Bye. It's all about America's ass. Cap or Nightwing? Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. 
No infringement is intended. Yeah, I woke up this morning to hearing in the ensuite bathroom drip, 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 drip. So crap. I go in there, shower is dripping, and I thought, well, maybe I didn't turn the handle all the way off when I was in there. Nope. It was all the way off. So about 20 years old, about the time to change out the cartridge. Problem is, as all cartridges go, you don't know which cartridge to buy. (laughs) So cartridge for a shower yeah the valve in the shower oh so all the valves in the faucets and the shower the everything they have this thing called a cartridge which is just this removable brass thing that directs water in as you turn whatever handle is to control the water uh, flow and temperature and stuff like that and they just go bad after a while showers They'll last 10, 20, maybe 30 years if you don't use them. But eventually the the O-rings in there and the seals and the gaskets, they go bad. So you have to replace them. And since bought the house about 20 years ago, and I use that shower at least twice, if not more, every day. Yeah, it's time to get that thing changed out. And there's uh, a couple of things with it. If you've never done it before, Chris, have you ever done it before? Change out a cartridge in the shower? Never had to do it in the shower. So in the, in a um, cartridge in a faucet, it's a lot easier. I don't understand why. Maybe it's because cartridges are smaller, but in the showers, they are like sucked in there hard. So I had to order a puller, what's called a puller. And they're individual to all the shower valves and cartridges. So I ordered that. So it's going to be dripping for a day or so, but Eventually, hopefully, I will get it figured out. So that I woke up to that. And I woke up to uh, bills shredded all over my carpet because apparently Cooper does not like bills. Nobody does. I mean, who does really? Solidarity with Cooper. Does my dog ate my bills work? I wish. I wish. I woke up to no kids this morning. It was it was lovely. We dropped them off at my in laws last night because we had a wedding. Oh, nice. And so I didn't get out of bed until about 930. It was glorious. <laughs> You're back at work now, too, right? Yeah, for one more week. And then I actually go on paternity leave for three months on the nice. 29th. I love how they do that now, the 12 weeks, and you can take it whenever. Love yep. that. Yeah, my sister and her boyfriend, Kristen, took time off when Elle was born. Elle's my niece. She's adorable. She just turned one. I love oh. her. And her boyfriend norm took off the next you know however many weeks and so they got a lot of bonding time with l and I'm so happy for them yeah my wife is wrapping up her three months of maternity leave and then we're gonna have one week where we're both off and then she's gonna go back to work and i'm gonna stay home for three months with both kids that's great three-year-old son and you know soon to be three-month-old daughter it's great so, for the, the new parents, but um, another added benefit is you know just getting to, if both parents are working, getting childcare, you know daycare mm-hmm. is impossible. So yeah. getting that extra three months is is a gold mine. Absolutely. My sister had to move. Okay, this is the summer of like surprise moves in my family. First, I had six weeks to move from Texas to Colorado. 
And then my sister, their landlord was like, hey, I've decided I'm going to sell the house. You need to be out by September 1st. Luckily, they found a place in Buda, which is a small town south of Austin, which means that they're closer to my parents now. And my parents are the ones doing a lot of the child care and stuff. I was helping out when I was still in Austin, but we're not in Austin anymore. And I miss my niece so much. Yeah. She loves violence. Like, she thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. So when she gets a little older, I need to get her into wrestling. Definitely one of your family members. Oh, yeah. No, there's a video my mom sent of Elle slamming my mom's head in this wicker toy chest and just laughing hysterically. Okay. Yeah. All right. And with that lead in, (laughs) let's get going. All right. We're going to talk a little bit right now about Jen Walter's car. Because I was like, okay, what kind of car is that? What kind of car is that? It's a Ford Escape, mid-2010s or so. So by the outer looks of it, I would say it might be earlier. And I'm pretty sure it was all CGI anyway on the outside. Car commercials do it all the time. They don't actually show you a car, an actual car that they filmed. It's all CGI. It's, it's done in post or you know, on the computer or whatever. So it could have been a model for any one of those years. I went to the interior shot, which you can't fake. So I went into the interior shot and the console, the dashboard was a very particular configuration and I couldn't get it to match up with the exterior at all. So I couldn't tell if it was like a 2013 model, a 2014, 2015, 2016 model, somewhere in there. So I went through a lot of pictures of Ford Escapes to try to figure out what exactly year that car was. I couldn't find out. So, Marvel, I believe through your CGI, you have stymied me. I mean, it's a wholly different universe. So, it could be that in the MCU, that's just a different make of vehicle. I'm not a car guy at all. I couldn't care less. It's a thing to get me from A to B. So, I wasn't paying attention to that stuff at all. I usually don't either, but I went into, I was trying to close frame on the actual controls on the, on the, on the screen up front. And that control is nowhere. There's a silver round button. That's like a wheel and it's not on any of the interior pictures that I was able to find anywhere. So, okay. I'm done complaining. Did you ever think about the possibility though, that Hulk broke part of the car at some point? And then just ran out and sneaky fixed it with the ROM parts. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, there's a whole thing on the Jeep, too, which I think we'll get into later. The Jeep is actually, it's a real Jeep that's around and goes to car shows and stuff like that. So we'll talk about that later. And then also, I frame by frame, as best as I could, the new intro to find every single little tidbit that's in the new intro, which was new for this show, obviously, because you got Ms. Marvel in it and you got... Uh, Jane Foster in there as well. So yeah, I've done a lot of frame by frame in the last two days. So uh, yeah, kudos, Marvel. All right, bye, bye. Legends of Shield is copyright twenty thirteen through twenty twenty two.